0: When everybody goes to Washington, nobody's out on the farm growing the freaking crops. I feel like I have more, not more, but as much influence on public health policy and public health sitting here at Athena uh, than I would at HHS every day of the week.
1: I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was Jonathan Bush, this week's guest reflecting on his career path. There aren't many healthcare executives like Bush, the outspoken CEO of Athena Health, an IT company, and there aren't many executives like him anywhere. He's someone that's intrigued me for years, and we caught up after doing a panel together at the World Healthcare Congress earlier this month. I've been especially interested in how Bush, a guy from a famous political dynasty, chose to focus on healthcare and why he feels free to say basically anything, as you'll hear quickly in this interview. Just a reminder, you can find Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app. My favorite podcast app is Overcast. I hope you'll rate it, review it, share it with friends. That's how we grow, and you can tell me who you'd like to hear on Pulse Check. I'm at ddiamond at politico.com. And now let's get to Jonathan Bush, the head of Athena Health. You started Athena Health in, in your 20s. You were you're well capitalized, you had a lot of resources you decided to start a company that was targeting essentially maternity care problems. What possesses a guy, a 27 year old guy to do that?
0: It was a family idea. It was, a, it was like, let's do something socially important that we'll feel good about. Um, we were into kids, we were into midwifery. Um, we were not well capitalized, I'll, I'll go back on that. It was very hard to raise money for this idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think the first round we were able to get together $1.6 million in $50,000 chunks.
1: Well, let let me be clear. You may not have been well capitalized. You had a network of resources that perhaps the Uh, average entrepreneur. Oh, I had
0: huge white girl problems. Like I was all set for private education and network and connections and all of that for sure. And I was at Harvard Business School where you can, you know, everybody calls you back. If you say, "I'm, I'm doing research at Harvard Business School and I have a question for you. Oh, well, the Harvard Business School has a question for me. They call you back even if you're just a putz you know, trying to build your own business plan. The,
1: the evolution of Athena 20 years later, we were talking about this right before going on the air. It's your 20 year anniversary.
0: Yeah.
1: When you look back at the opportunities missed, what's, what's the biggest one that Athena whiffed on?
0: So I, you know, I have the myopia of my, of the road I traveled. So I don't know the other roads, but in general, what I think of is I, I replay paths to where we are. If we could only have done this differently or that differently, if we could only, and you know, on bad days uh, when I've been you know drinking too much, I'm like, that was it. We would have been done by now. There would be healthcare, internet. There's millions of people dying and being wasted you know financially because we were too slow. And uh, but on better days, I say, well, you know, you have to fail to succeed. So each one of the wrong turns, uh, you know. At 20, I feel like we did okay. I mean, look at all the companies that started that didn't get to, you know, whatever we are in market cap and a billion in revenues. 15% of visits to the office of the doctor last year happened on AthenaNet. On the freaking internet it's a major accomplishment yeah yeah and while the growth rate isn't still 35 percent, it's still big there's still thousands of more doctors in queue the most august institutions in medicine the biggest are on not all of them but meaningful sort of marquee clients are on it's becoming an accepted thing to move from the server room in your basement to the cloud uh so you know on the whole and on the average i'm 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 optimistic about the first 20 years.
1: We were just on stage at the World Healthcare Congress. You made a number of things that I – comments that I want to follow up on. One that I thought was fascinating, I pushed you a bit on stage, is that you want the electronic medical record, EMR companies, to be commodities, which from like a big picture perspective, that's that's good when commodities – commoditization happens, lower cost. Yes. As the CEO of a company that – specializes in EMR, that hurts your business.
0: Then. Yes, so it's good. This is why God gave us the podcast to dig deep on, on those types of things. Yeah, there aren't
1: 700 people staring at us. Right. It's just so us talking. It's
0: not really that we want the EMR as you think of it to be a commodity. What you want is—so thou- so the experience of the doctor and the patient engaging in cure— diagnosis and cure. You actually want to be highly customized. You don't want five or ten competing EMR experiences. You want five or ten thousand because medicine is not a three trillion dollar market. It is It is tens of thousands of couple billion dollar markets, each in a different specialty and a modality. And you want each of those front ends to be able to have many, many highly specialized choices. The medical record, the gut of Who is this person what are their problems meds allergies that should be commoditized so the identity sharing needs uh to be on a platform healthcare desperately desperately needs a platform company it would put an end to world health conference (laughs) healthcare conference congress whatever it's called debates because so many of the things we discuss here pop out of existence just poof you know, EDI, interoperability, transparency, patient controlling the chart, does the doctor control? All these things go away if you actually start to have a small number of benevolent monopoly-like platform companies that don't block other players entering, right?
1: I, I just want to step back before plunging forward again, which is you, you live this world, you know this terminology. Many listeners to this podcast are folks who work on The Hill or in D.C. and might not be quite as familiar. So when you are looking at interconnectedness, interoperability, EDI, all of these issues. What is the issue that folks on the Hill need to be grappling with that that is getting overlooked in D.C.? Well, I
0: think the folks on the Hill really need to take a look at this Internet thing. (laughs) I think, guys, it's going to be big. I know you all still have your Blackberries. And, you know, I've seen government government computer systems. You know, I have a friend who's hopefully about to be a general. I've seen the, you know, for security reasons, he's got a guy who types, reads in one laptop and then manually types in another one. Like, holy shit, you know, but... But the, the basic concept of the whole world of medicine today, the High Tech Act, which everyone's got to buy an EMR, the whole term an EMR, an electronic medical record, people, as we just discussed, think of that as the computer system that the doctor types into. That's an absurd idea. That's a terrible idea. There shouldn't be such a thing. Right? Doctors should add to a record that the patient, that is everywhere the patient wants. Uh, To be right and and that's a totally different conception the whole concept of electronic data interchange like i'm going to ship some data over from my little computer to your little computer that is a concept that doesn't exist outside of healthcare, right the the concept of platforms with apps sitting on top we all understand everyone on the hill has an iphone next to their blackberry which the office gave them and on it are many apps that were not made by apple right many of them completely compete with Apple's email app or texting app or whatever, right? Many of us message on things besides Messenger, right? All of us do in in various ways. That does not, there's no interface. There's no like implementation. There's no training. We're used to complicated things like that being perfectly taken for granted due to the existence of a platform that lies underneath. Healthcare is this close. I'm holding my fingers very close together.
1: Yeah, it's like an inch apart.
0: Yeah, from that despite, ironically...
1: All the balkanization and, and all the efforts Much to, of
0: which has been reinforced by wonderfully well-meaning, brilliant people who don't quite get markets in, in Washington.
1: We've had on this podcast folks like Farzad Mustashari.
0: There's a man who doesn't quite get markets. I mean, he's one of my personal heroes in many ways, but this is a public health doc from New York who says, oh, we'll just have them all plug into each other. You know, we'll have a like a firewire." I'm like, dude, please, you know... That's not how this works. You, you have to think in terms of the internet. The entire High Tech Act set back the internet a decade because it put $40 billion into the hands of doctors and hospitals for buying whatever was in front of them. And it defined an EMR in this noun-like way, in this idea of a, of a specific static set of features you know, that you could demo. And you did have to actually go, there was literally, this isn't Gilbert and Sullivan, there was an actual committee for the certification of healthcare IT and you'd go to Washington, they'd have yellow pads and you'd show them all the features that the committee came up with and that would get you your certification, literally. It wasn't a bad dream, it was real life. And that blocked the idea of, you know, I, don't, I want my screen to tell me more about my patient than I already know which fundamentally is not true of a noun-based EMR, because the only thing the computer knows is whatever I typed into it.
1: So Far- Farzad can defend himself, and I'm not— He will.
0: He's a brilliant man. I mean, I love him, you know, but that was a terrible chapter for us.
1: Well, what he would say—he said some of this on the podcast, too—was he was hemmed in by just the push from industry and— Absolutely he right. Was, —was pushed down. He had this line on the podcast that lots of folks like to quote, that he hates compliance, that— just the bare minimum is not the way to Correct. actually get transformative change And as
0: a man as a leader i mean he 's an incredible listener he 's despite his forcefulness he he learns and evolves and adapts i mean not, i don 't blame him I, I, I blame the whole idea that we need a a moonshot fix right The concept of moonshot fixes fundamentally destroy. Innovation, uh, And this was just another example of that. Well, I, I think that we, wasn't his idea or doing. And,
1: and just to be super clear, Farzad was the national coordinator for health IT. He yep. has now been gone for several years.
0: And he's a great entrepreneur doing markets, which is great.
1: Who is the best person to be in that role of ONC head? Should there even be an ONC head in your mind?
0: Um, yeah, I, I, I even when David Brayler, who I think was the first under the W administration. And now he's a, a venture own, capitalist. Yeah. I, I was like, what, what exactly? You know, I don't get this. Like, what is the, you know, all I could think of is the modern major general. You know, the person who will be charged, the czar. They called him a HIT czar. That was the, it was the concept of a drug czar interagency coordination. Like, let's do it for medical records. Right, but a point but person. Unlike the drug czar with its coordinating uh, balkanized federal agencies that all actually are federal agencies, this is a guy who's actually trying to coordinate free-form, independent, non-governmental Groups. If the czar at the time had focused on just getting the government's data organized and published.
1: That would have been a big win.
0: Huge. Still to this day. How many years since Brailler? You can't get access to Medicare data as a doctor on your patient. So I got a Medicare patient coming in tomorrow. I can't go pull what Medicare already knows on this patient. I find it out in 2017 by giving this senior citizen a freaking clipboard it's unbelievable. And the data's there. There's no law. There's no legislation against one HIPAA-covered entity sharing information with another HIPAA-covered entity. That's completely provided for under HIPAA. It happens all the time. Government looks down its nose shamefully at hospitals that don't build good enough interfaces to their competitors. And here is government itself fundamentally, not just doing a bad technical job of it, disallowing it. So to me... If Farzad or Braylor or all these really quite charismatic, brilliant, good, public health oriented people from both sides of the aisle could focus on sort of Prince Heal Thyself a little, um, I think markets would have been allowed to move.
1: I asked you this question earlier. I just want it for the podcast sake. If you were riding the elevator with President Trump, you're you're taking that 60 floor ride in Trump Tower. You've got a minute with him. And I truly mean it this time. One minute to tell him about this industry and its challenges. What would you say to him?
0: Okay, I'm going to set aside the hyperbole that I used Is that on possible? Stage, which was childish, and I shouldn't have said it. Did, did your team tell you that? No, but I might. I think I've been audited since then. Um, <laughs> uh, no, what I would say is, look, Mr. President, you're a businessman, and there's so much good that can come from a businessman finally getting in the White House. And you know, Mazel tov on your incredible style and grace <coughs> for getting in there. What we need is to let markets work in healthcare, Mr. President. They don't work. People write books. The, the president of the Kaiser uh, Foundation, or whatever it's called, just Kaiser Research Fellow Libby Rosenthal Trust wrote. The wrote. Kaiser wrote Kaiser I was on the Health radio Newsbook. show with her, and she's deploring the the lack of human agency that exists in sort of big big corporate medicine. Uh, and she's saying, "Look, this is what we've got when we when we are victims of the market. What the market will bear," is a phrase she uses a lot with these terrible drug companies taking advantage of people. They're not terrible. Crowd companies are not taking advantage of people, but there's also no market. So what I would say to Trump is, Mr. President, you could actually get markets working here if you let it. And I've got a short list of things you could do to do that. So since we're
1: since we're talking about Trump, yeah, and you you are remarkably liberated, it seems at times to say whatever is on your mind. Not not well, at I'm times. following
0: the model of the great leader himself, who seems remarkably liberated to say what he thinks. So you predated him in? though, and you know what? I don't even think I know they say you know he's a narcissist who's, who's tender. I think he can handle a punch or two. I don't think he minds guys like little tiny guys like me saying you know that he's a putz. Well, he
1: he seems to like mixing it up, and and yeah. you are someone who also I likes to it up. to get it in the mix. Yep. Tell me why that is. Like, what is it that is
0: viscerally enjoyable? Because this is an industry yeah. that there aren't a lot of people like you. Yes. Well, you have a problem. In you know, all industries, when you get to maturity, there's a disease, which I gave a TED Talk about, the only TED Talk I ever gave, uh, which I called upper right quadrant syndrome. He's got a you know, cute case because I imagine two doctors standing over the person. I think he's got a case of URQS uh, and it's advancing. And upper right quadrant syndrome is the disease that you get when you do really well as a business to where you dominate your market. The greatest case of URQ, URQS that I gave in the talk was Microsoft, which was I know this is hard to imagine now, but at the time uh, when I was in college, a very cool company. It had this you know bad boy entrepreneur founder who left college, didn't finish you know his degree at Harvard so that he could build his company, uh, you know, and the idea that technology that you know instead of word processing for the purpose of organizing the words before printing and faxing them. You could actually process them electronically, keep them electronically, and then another computer somewhere else would work just as well on the same document.
1: It was groundbreaking.
0: Groundbreaking, (laughs) right? And so it was so cool. And then the idea that you could do spreadsheets, right? Using not just Word, but Excel. And then you could waste time using not just Excel, but PowerPoint, you know, that all of those things could. And so we loved Microsoft, and it seemed cheap and amazing until they kind of got to about 50% market share. Yeah,
1: they got to maturity.
0: And then they said, you know, we, gotta, we need some more money here. And I, don't got, I got no unplowed fields out ahead of me that look bigger than the fields I've already plowed. So they raised price. They did Windows 95 and, you know, the world got mad. But they go, oh, it looks like an app, like a Mac now we will be happy. Then they did Windows 97 and nothing got better and people started to think less of Microsoft, right? And they're still trying to recover, right? Monopoly issues. This happens to hospitals and markets, right? They do a wonderful job. They raise money. They build great equipment. They attract all the doctors, right? And they eventually get to a market share where the only way they can survive is by cutting the nursing pay and raising the rates for the, for the care they give and that's a really tough place uh, to be.
1: Well, I, but I think if I'm bringing it back to you as a leader, there aren't a lot of leaders like you who seem totally free. Uh, yeah. And so, that's uh, that's out of fear of I guess hurting uh, the business or
0: Right. I think and so when you run a URQS company, your 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 paralyzing overwhelming top priority is to preserve the asset, right? To to protect this thing that's so valuable. Well, I've had the lucky the lucky fortune of having an asset that's worth next to nothing. Uh, for most of my career. And certainly next to nothing compared to what it could be worth if we moved ahead.
1: I, I'm trying to do the math in my head as we're talking. Isn't Athena like a market cap of $3 billion or so right now? <laughs> God, I hope not. It was $5 billion on Monday. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> well, that's my back of the envelope <laughs> math. But it's, this is a multi-billion dollar company.
0: Yeah, but in a $3 trillion market, it's game stakes. You know, it's barely game stakes. We're still growing, you know, an average of 30% of late, much less. The doctors have sort of gone to the bottom of the pond right now, waiting to see what comes out of AHCA and everything else. And we need them to start buying again. We've entered the hospital space. But we have... You know, maybe we have 15% of doctors, of of doctor visits, less than 15% of doctors, because we have the doctors that actually do visits. We have less than, we round to 0% of hospitals, 0% of ambulances, 0% of laboratories, 0% of pharmacies. So all of these markets are wide open. None of them are on the cloud today, waiting to be plowed. These are unplowed fields, as far as the eye can see. When you're in that place, you have, as a CEO, an obligation for candor and evangelism that you don't get the privilege of having when you are preserving an asset that's stopped growing and has no unplowed. If it's, a, if it's just an us or them zero-sum market that you're trapped in, you, you can't be the way I am. And someday, God willing, Athena won't be allowed, and it won't be me, who's the CEO, right? I'll be straight-jacketed and dragged off, kicking and screaming, speaking my truth, and some more, you know, moderate you know, woman, gray haired, you know, that's a very good point, but we need to be aware of the security ramifications and, you know, carefully uh, 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 monitoring the performance of the platform so that it's fair for everyone, et cetera, et cetera. I look forward to that day. We've had dream retreats where we do, you know, Wall Street Journal cover pages, uh, you know, front pages uh, where we're in it and it's good and it has to do with the national, you know, in the bombing, the national health information backbone was preserved and and no damage was sustained according to Athena Health spokesperson or whatever. You know, these dreams of being that boring, reliable backstage thing that enables a market uh, gives me... uh, Great joy and excitement.
1: Really? Because that you're, you're describing a world and and a organization that, frankly, doesn't feel like a Jonathan Bush company.
0: No, the, the, the Athena Health, if it succeeds, shouldn't be a Jonathan Bush company. Or Jonathan Bush should grow up and be a cautious, conservative, careful, you know, man who, who's who's preserving the asset. The goal, as we discussed, which is, in that, which is
1: more likely to happen.
0: It's a good question. I feel like a different Jonathan Bush every year. The idea of being the CEO of a company that's three friends in a basement where you go to Home Depot and get doors and those you know two doors you know pedestal filing cabinets and we're like this will be called the uh, Commander of European Operations Task Center. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And you know we'll give you a two line phone and we will pull the lines and plug them into the back the you know, analog lines with the party line ringer where you can tap it and change numbers, change change lines. Uh, to, 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 you know, having our own office, to having kind of two floors, like, oh, which floor are you on, you know, (laughs) you know, to which building are you in? You're describing
1: the growth trajectory of a startup and how awesome that can be.
0: Wonderful. And the mandate on the CEO gets really, really different. Many companies, you know, trade out their CEOs. We've somehow avoided that. And I think partly it's because I've been just as enamored by the challenge of the new job as I was by the old one. Because my prime mover has been this social mission. I would like to see there be a healthcare internet. That I, I, I like entrepreneurship, and I like business leadership, and I like strategy. I like investor relations. But what I really like is that goal. And for as long as that goal uh, exists, uh, you know, I don't mind what what dish doing or skill set building I'm I'm doing against it. Once the goal exists, I think I. I would like to see other guys be CEO because they're great guys, girls at Athena who should have a shot at it. It's fun.
1: Do you have a year in mind for when that might be? I
0: don't. I told my wife, don't worry, it's only till we have 100,000 doctors. She left me. So I I can now go as long as I want. That that idea of that being your your X to solve for uh, changes a lot of things. It changes what products you allow. It changes whether you allow competitive EMRs to be sold to your own customers. You, in fact, enable it we market competitive products to our own products, to our customers. Uh, And when they win, we we do get a piece, we get a platform fee, but much smaller than if they actually charge our products.
1: Hey, it's Dan Diamond. We'll get back to the conversation with Jonathan in a second. But first, I wanted to remind you about a pair of upcoming events. On Friday, June 2nd in Chicago, Joanne Kennan Sir Carlin Smith, our excellent pharma reporter, and I will be in Chicago at the ASCO annual meeting talking about health care, politics, and policy. Would love to see you there if you're at ASCO. If you're in Chicago, drop me a line. I'm at ddiamond at politico.com. And second, we'll be hosting an event in Washington, D.C. on how Medicaid is driving care innovation in the states. That's Tuesday, June 13th at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington. Now let's get back to our conversation with Jonathan Bush. So you, you have embraced being liberated, being loquacious, saying what's on your mind, being transparent. Do you feel
0: like that's ever hurt Athena? Uh, my my loquaciousness has often hurt Athena. You'll see a nice committee of highly paid professionals. They're, they're uh,
1: all looking at us nicely. Uh, arms yeah.
0: folded at times. Um,
1: they seem happy with the interview so, so far. So
0: far, there's a wan smile that suggests I haven't screwed up too badly. Uh, no, I, I am working on, um, there's an interesting metamorphosis that goes on when, when, you're no, when you're really, really nobody and no one knows who you are. If you strip off your clothes and streak, but you get, you know, what do they say? The only press, the only bad press is your obit you know, as your obituary, when when you're starting and no one even has any idea that you could do this on the cloud at all, it doesn't matter what—there's no downside. It's all upside. To getting today, attention. Yeah. Today, there's 90 million patients on the internet. There's 93,000 providers on AthenaNet. There's something to lose. And so my tone has to acknowledge the downside. You know, we're not yet fully in URQS that we discussed earlier— but there is something to lose, and my tone has to reflect that.
1: Well, I'm, I'm curious specifically because there was an episode, I want to say two years ago, two and a half years ago, with David Einhorn in Greenlight Capital, the activist investor yes, who is yes. short-selling, and he used a number of your statements on Jim Cramer and elsewhere to try and build a story yeah. that Athena was being propped up by yeah. you and your personality. Yes. Do you, do you feel like that was a fair criticism?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that um, all startups lean on what they have at the beginning, and if they do a good job, they build more uh, lasting, more resilient institutional fiber in place of it, and then they move up. So I still use force of personality, founder, you know, mojo, whatever you get from people for being a founder, Um, but I hope I use it kind of... towards the tip of our spear and the rest of the company runs in a more mature way. I don't lead product management anymore, at Athena. I don't go into product management meetings saying, this thing here is the thing that needs to get built next. I, I get that as, you know, I can see what we're building next because each PO on each agile team rolls up to a PM that prioritizes the scope of those teams. And I get to see basically, and I can say the ship needs to go there you know, and point in a direction of the sea. But that's a complete change. I I, I am more audience member than anything else uh, in that process. And I used to be my whole job. You know, similarly, I used to be very involved in sales. I'm not involved in sales hardly at all. There's a few enterprise deals that I meet with uh, before they sign. But by and large, that's an area that is sort of Jonathan personality free. Um, I think this, when we're sitting here in Washington talking about why CMS hasn't given access to its own Medicare data, to doctors treating Medicare patients, that's still kind of a thing that no one will say, that we need to say. The benefits to Athena and many others, too, uh, if they if we break through that wall, is vastly in excess of the damage I could do by ticking off, you know, the president or whatever in the short term.
1: Well, in, in, in terms of that, we are in D.C., you speak your mind on politics and policy. Yep. Your family name is Bush. It, it is. It's a political dynasty. Your your brother, Billy, Billy Bush played a small role in the presidential campaign.
0: Yes. Yes, he did not sign up for that role. It was a volunteer role of sorts. Uh,
1: but, but I, I have yep. a bigger question, which is this. How much does that Bush family name
0: constrain you from talking about politics or, or policy? I don't think... Uh, the Bush name. I get headwinds as a Bush. People sort of automatically assume I'm a certain, you know, I'm a W sort of look alike or, uh, you know, or think alike, you know. Uh, you seem slightly different from. I'm, w. I'm yeah, we're all, di- I mean, of course we're different. You know, Jeb is different from George and my parents are different from George and Bahar. Um I proudly, you know, enjoy uh, being a Bush even though sometimes it's a, you know, I get unconscious bias against me. I also get unconscious help. People, I love your family. Thank you for your service. You know? And I'm like, I didn't do anything. You know, I was, (laughs) I was a medic in the army for one year. You know, I'm not, I'm not not a game changer, you know? Uh, and they give me, they give me support that I don't deserve as well. Um, by and large, I, I, it, I've been a bush since I was born and bushes have been in public life since I was in first grade. So, it doesn't now before first grade. If you include like CIA and and all these jobs that you know, we bumped into when Uncle George would come to Maine for the summer, and there would be Mr. C sort of looming behind him with the communications equipment. You know, it's it's a norm for me. It doesn't it doesn't really factor at all.
1: Well, if if this is a norm and you have
0: goals that you want to see change yeah. in America, why don't you run? You know, it's really interesting. I think one of the megatrends that concerns me most about public life in the United States is that you can only make change through the government. I I have two problems with that. One is you can't make change through the government. Um, As our president is finding out a little bit. Absolutely. You get the deep state issue, but then you also have all of which is appropriate. We designed a tricameral paralyzed system of government for a reason, which was that we had an underlying assumption that this weird collection of colonists would each want to go their own way and that that would be okay, that we would only govern to the minimum acceptable uh, level that sort of allowed, that, that enabled commerce and trade and civil society. Um, so, one is it doesn't work that well. That's one concern. Uh, and, and there's huge unintended consequences to it. Think about Obamacare, all these weird unintended consequences that these brilliant, wonderful people did not possibly imagine when they created it. And the other is when everybody goes to Washington, nobody's out on the farm growing the freaking crops. I feel like I have more not more, but as much influence on public health policy and public health sitting here at Athena uh, than I would at HHS every day of the week, even though I revere Tom Price. One of the choices that Trump made that I kind of like a lot of Trump choices, even though Trump's personal style upsets me a lot. Um, And Price is a, a private practicing orthopod who worked in inner city care, cares a lot about the public health.
1: Did he ever use Athena health records? Do you know?
0: He didn't, but he was our congressman and he knows Athena really well. Uh, and he gets the idea of open data. I actually think that this year could be the year that CMS opens its gates after all of these great intelligentsia from Harvard, you know, ruled the place uh, for so many years, all of whom were friends and colleagues and, and people that I admired as as thinkers, but really just, you know, did not have any faith or confidence in the common player.
1: Or in the markets. Or right.
0: in markets. Didn't even know what they were, you know. and uh, And so I actually think that you know, Tom Price from the suburbs of Atlanta might be the guy who breaks open the platform economy in medicine.
1: I, I do want to defend the Harvard folks for they, again, can speak for themselves. Yes. But their argument would be that some of the ideas that they needed to bring were laying the groundwork. And, and perhaps Republicans have a little bit more flexibility given their closeness with the business community. The fact that Republicans can control Congress and now
0: yeah, no. I mean, obviously, the the, the debate between Hume and you know, we've gone back generations on you know we need to engineer the dumb populace into position so that they can serve themselves versus the, actually the wisdom of crowds is real and you know the dumb populace would like to collectively say ah Gould, you know and and we go back and forth and I, yeah I see both sides of it I was you know I I, I live in Cambridge Massachusetts I eat only you know quiche and espresso so I, I respect and love these people
1: right having just been there there's a juicery right on harvard square yes uh, yeah.
0: pressed pressed juice yes eight dollars for Do you know a that juice? wonderful cartoon of the caveman sitting around it's like i don't get it like we only eat organic like, <laughs> yes i know this range, cartoon wild you know and we die we, we, by we, 30 yeah. yeah and we die at 30 <laughs> i don't get it you know
1: so I, I could go deeper with you on philosophy and the evolution of the caveman to yeah. the Harvard professor. Yeah. But why, why don't we close our conversation by just talking about healthcare writ large, yeah. where Athena fits. Are we, are we in a place where transformative change is more likely to happen than, than not, given all of the various trends and all of the talk about this, we finally need to reform things like yeah. sharing data? Or are you looking and seeing more of the same across the industry?
0: Well, all transformations happen from the outside in, the ones that I know about. I mean, you occasionally have this moonshot idea, but it doesn't actually create, you know, when we did the Manhattan Project, we, we weren't planning on having a sustainable, growing, evolving economy for nuclear bombs. You know, the moonshot, you know, it's taken 50 years for a sustainable m- moonshot economy to build up around. And, you know, it's unclear whether that first thing sped it up or slowed it down. Um, so what healthcare needs de- desperately is is a market, and what markets need, especially information product markets, and healthcare is mostly an information product, uh, are platforms. And, and so, to me, and, and there are very legitimate confounding variables that screw that up for good reason in medicine. The most important of which is the safety net problem. Right? We don't, for markets to work really well, there needs to be the a, a large pool of non-participants that the participants want to draw in, right? The first Tesla was a quarter million dollar thing that went for 20 minutes but looked hot and only a bunch of rich people, right, could afford it. The next one was 100 or 80,000, 60,000, but you added your extras and you're at 100,000. They hit another wave. You know, now they've got a 40,000 and they're selling their IP to Hyundai, you know, and everybody could get into some kind of EV, right? If there was a law saying everybody must have an electric car, we would not have those Hyundai EVs, right? And there is a law saying everybody must have healthcare, um, which is not a bad thing, there's obvious moral value in are, that. Are, you,
1: are you talking about EMTALA, the law that everyone has to have emergency access to health care? Because the ACA doesn't necessarily say that everyone has to have health care, just you have to have health coverage there or pay a the penalty. the right?
0: The creative act in medicine today is how much market force can we allow into the game while still providing a safety net, right? It's that simple. If we allow more market force, we'll have less safety net, and that will hurt people for a, ton, for a small while hopefully small, for some unknown while, if we knew how long it might be easier. If we have less market and more safety net, the product will continue to rise out of affordability and it will affect everyone adversely. So that is the Silas and that is the delicate balancing act that we are playing. Athena Health plays a, could play an incredibly valuable role in making whatever market force energy there is highly liquid. Right? So once there's the ability to shop, the ability to keep your money if you don't buy or to keep your money if you build, buy a cheaper product, there needs to be the ability to shop for that product. And what AthenaNet and Athena Health represents is the opportunity to shop, for doctors to shop for specialists in hospitals, for patients to shop for doctors. And if, if we get that going, no matter where society draws the, the bottom line, that, that, that minimum bar whether it's m or whether it's everybody has to have all 10 minimum essential blah, blah, blah features. Whatever market force is allowed, Athena will provide liquidity to make that lead to innovation.
1: You've been doing this for years. You know so many folks across the industry. Yep. I remember seeing you once at the New Yorker Festival asking Atul Gawande a question.
0: Yeah, from the crowd.
1: I, I yep. re- yeah, yeah, just going Lobbed up to the f- it in, yeah. Who is the smartest person in healthcare? Who is the person when he or she speaks, you say— that is, that is gospel. That is right on.
0: That is such a brilliant question because one of the great ironies of healthcare is that the smartest people are wrong or, or just aren't relevant. And this is one of the great—like, for example, I think Atul Gawande is the smartest, most compelling, most followable, I give money to his thing— I think he's just the most inspiring. Every book, every article.
1: Every reporter wants to be him.
0: But he grew up inside of Big Med. He know The medicine he knows are the surgeries that he gets to see that make it to Brigham. Now, he's wandered a field a little bit, and his thinking is evolving. But one of the great problems with medicine is we think of it as a thing for thinkers to solve. And it's actually just a quarter of our economy. It's actually just tides and weather and barometric pressure and eating choices and exercising choices it's a swirl it's of a things. force of nature is what you're saying that's right it's a force of nature and so by by as soon as you be, sort of put yourself out there as a healthcare thinker you acknowledge the perfect tragic flaw which is that you can't be a healthcare thinker you could be an observer but you can't be an agent of...
1: Of major change because it's systemic and deep and it's right. can outlive your, your us all. Your
0: opportunity to make a change is to create an opportunity for the crazy ones, whoever they may be, to follow you into, but not to make the non-crazy ones by your, you know, uh, do what you want.
1: A, a quick word of defense for Gwanda, who goes to India and has done all kinds of reporting around the yep. country and, and I think has done a good job getting outside that bubble. But since you're talking about yep. the, the, kind of the flip side of this, yep. if there are the folks who realize their role and are observers and try to be helpful who who are the barriers like who is your nemesis in healthcare? (laughs) who's preventing things in your perspective from getting better
0: um yeah please do defend Atul. he he is my personal hero of mine um i just don't think he understands markets that well i don't think he's had much training in markets how markets work and I don't think most people who think about healthcare policy understand the social importance, the public health importance, the help for the poor and lower middle class importance of markets in medicine. That's the one missing uh, Achilles' heel. And I forgot your question.
1: The question is, who's your nemesis in healthcare? The the, right. the person who's blocking things from getting better.
0: Yeah. I, rather than name someone because it's it changes all the time, it is the peace in all of us. My, this enemy, is the first time you haven't been totally liberated to say say what's on your mind. Yeah, there is no someone I don't have because even the people who say the most outrageous things, there are very few people in medicine that I think are shills or crooks. You know, even the people that I just want to. Th- choke. I, I'll apologize as I watch the life, you know, depart as their eyes roll back in their head. I'm sorry, it's not you, <laughs> you know. As, as you're yeah. choking them, as yeah. you're making the yeah. hand motion. Exactly. Yeah. It's more the idea, it's the disrespect for the human, for, for humanity, for average humanity, and um, the belief that we won't provide public health if it is not in a command system. I think that in all of us, I have it. I, worry that if there's no command system people won't be taken care of it and when i do that i'm ashamed of myself i think that that is what blocks healthcare from the biggest problem with healthcare is not how expensive it is it could be more expensive for some people and that would be great it's that for all of that money it is not an expression of our humanity it is not connected to what we want it's not where we actually are on the demand curve that is the biggest problem and when we sort of look down our nose at people and tell them that they don't belong where they want to be on the demand curve, we do great and long-lasting consequential harm.
1: Well, I ask part of this because in DC, healthcare bubbles up occasionally when big profit takers, whether it's Valiant or, yes, or Turing Pharmaceuticals, this. who seem to be in healthcare not for the helping, but for the profits. You are the CEO of a yes. publicly traded company. You must feel some
0: pressure Profit versus help. This is a perfect case study in this. It isn't your profit margin that drives your goodness or badness. There are beautifully low profit, non profit status medical centers that are vastly worse for the healthcare public good, right, than Valiant taking a 90% margin or Athena taking a 50% margin. Uh, you know, if that Valiant drug actually in In equivalent hospital days generates less hospital days than the cost of the drug reliably, then it's a steal regardless of even if the hospital day is a 2% margin thing and the valiant drug is a 90% margin. What matters is, does the shit work better than what's there already? And this orientation towards profit taking is is this is this. Exact tragic flaw we talked about.
1: Well, you, you keep coming back to markets. That's one reason why I'm asking because you have a market oriented approach to healthcare. I do. And the counter argument is markets don't always work in healthcare because there are folks who come in, and if not for
0: regulators, some patients that need these drugs lose out. We should do a drug podcast. Like, I would love to do the drug podcast. The fact is, because of the way the FDA works, you, you get credit for being effective whether you're effective or not as a drug today. You, once you're in, you're on the list and there is no shopping for, would this drug work better than that drug? Is this expensive drug better than the hospital days? That, that is surveillance that we're starting to do on AthenaNet now that we've got enough longitudinal data. But by and large, that thinking, other than in policy, in, in practice, does not exist at all. And so in a way... If you have nothing else, no other proxy to look at, maybe profit-taking, profit margins is something to to take out your wrath. But it is just a logical identity that profit-taking does not correlate to savings-making. It just doesn't at all. The most wasteful institutions in America today for medicine have very low profit margins, and most of them have nonprofit status.
1: Which is a whole other bucket of things that the yeah. tax exemptions that hospitals are I, I live in, in a city get. that
0: has six identical tertiary medical centers within three miles of each other that are filled with non-tertiary medical tasks to prop up their balance sheet because they're not making enough money.
1: And many of those hospitals are saving $30 million, $40 million on property tax because they're considered tax exempt. <laughs> let's, let's close on on kind of a question that I, I hope pulls a few threads together You've talked about where you want Athena Health to go. You've talked a bit about your own career. Is your career a success if in 10 years, if in five years, you are still leading Athena Health? That's a great
0: question. I think it depends on what Athena Health is then. If there is a huge percentage, the vast majority of Athena Health that is as yet unformed, and behind me there are many multiples, the current Athena Health that are formed that are not being run by me, then maybe there's a role for me. But if Athena Health sort of plateaus and, uh, you know, starts to mature as whatever it's going to be, then I really need to be, uh, maybe I get to stay on the board. I mean, I really love, I have a great emotional feeling for Athena and the mission and the people that work there, but I definitely don't think that personality-based companies uh, are, are good for long.
1: So what would be next after Athena? I realize I'm asking you to project out like multiple years and multiple roles.
0: You know, it's hard. I, I, I would like to get, uh, you know, I have, I have a child who's 21, who's in college. You know, I started when I was 12, so. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I'd like to see where they are all. Uh, I need to rest and, and, and de- detox. I think I'd want to do that. But I also know that there are many, many other aspects of public policy for which there is no vertical information platform whether it's criminal justice or education or uh i mean most social services are just a food desert when it comes to technology and innovation that's
1: interesting so taking the athena health idea and exporting it oh, to other policy right?
0: why do cops still spend 32 percent of their entire on t- on duty time in police stations filling out forms in 20 17 are you serious right i we could crush that like a grape in an hour and the cops Maybe the union guy wouldn't like, it. hey, whoa, whoa, what? what we Now do we need less cops? Don't worry, we'll find. Maybe you can find my car, which got stolen, and you guys didn't have the resources to fingerprint. You know, but there, that and education, you know, a platform that says, yeah, if you want to take some classes outside of school or at home, or if you're rural, can you get? There's so many places where because we have that safety net instinct, because we don't want it to fail, we also don't let it grow up. Uh, probably all of our children, too, right? Like, why are the Russians better at math than us? Well, I don't know. Maybe they let you fail. Uh, so I have that as, a, as a always, you know, am I doing enough to start? Am I Should I be starting new verticals uh, or should I be, you know, keeping new sub-verticals growing in, in medicine? Or should I shut the hell up and, and let other people talk?
1: Well, we, we will wrap this conversation. You can go off and, and reflect. I have to say of all the Pulse Check podcasts we've done in the past year, not only has this been the most wide-ranging, it featured the most impersonations, too. So that could be another career path, as, as you decide. Jonathan Bush, head of Athena Health, thank you for making time for this interview. This was
0: a real pleasure. Thank you.
1: That is all for Pulse Check this week. Thank you to Jonathan Bush and Athena Health for making time for the podcast. Thank you to the World Healthcare Congress for spotting us a room. And thank you to Bridget Mulcahy for traveling around the hotel complex to find us. You can find Pulse Check on all of your favorite podcast apps, iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, and beyond. And you can let me know at ddiamondapolitico.com who you'd like to hear from next. And we'll be back with a new episode of Pulse Check next week.